Welcome to Dear Dio, your resource for honest advice and real authenticity for your journey from life as a pre-med to residency. I'm your host, Michael Garrison, fourth-year osteopathic medical student, and today I will be talking with... Hi, my name is Misha Dolmagani, and I am an incoming first-year at Kansas City University in Joplin, Missouri. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, do you mind just giving the listeners a little bit of background information on who you are and where you come from? Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I am a first-gen pre-med student. I'm actually originally from Boca Raton, Florida, so all my South Florida natives, what's up? <laughs> a little bit about me, I've always been passionate about medicine. Medicine has always been kind of in the background. Um, my grandfather was actually a surgeon in Iran, so my family is first-gen from Iran. They moved here after the revolution. Yeah, it's just always been something embedded within me. And I really recently got into pre-med advising and I ended up loving that. So I've started my own Instagram and a TikTok page, which has been awesome. That's amazing. So what kind of what kind of propelled you to want to do something so so kind of philanthropic, you know, giving back all of that info? There's so many pre-meds out there that need a lot of advice and a they're getting advice from a lot of different angles, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. What kind of inspired you to start that? That's such a good question. Honestly, I'm going to be super blunt. It was because I did not have anybody. Yeah. I was so lost, and I know so many other pre-meds can relate to that. You don't really know what to listen to. So I made the mistake of listening to everything and it really, really bit me in the butt at the end because I was burned out. I was overwhelmed. I was stressed and I got rejected from medical school on my first application cycle. That's so hard. Yeah, it's a toughie. So it's like, you know, from what I learned in my experiences, I wanted to give back because I know there are so many pre-meds out there like me. For sure. Yeah, that was definitely my journey as well. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. And I think that just having that humility in in medicine is is so huge. And then having that humility and showing other pre-meds like, hey, we also did not know what we were doing, but we are still here. We still made it. We're still doing our best. Um, I think that that just goes a long way and shows you kind of our determination towards it. So you said that you were rejected from medical school. So did you did you have two separate um, application cycles? I did. So a lot of money. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I did. I ended up having to go through two application cycles. So I really, really learned um, everything that I didn't do right on my first application cycle. I took that and I implemented it into my second one, which eventually got me into medical school. So yippee. <laughs> Okay, so what did you what would you say is like the biggest thing that you learned going from, you know, one cycle which was unsuccessful to the next cycle which was obviously successful cuz now you are, you know, matriculating into a fantastic osteopathic medical school. Right, yeah. So I actually reflected on this myself quite a bit. Um one big thing is the letters of recommendation that I got. Yeah. So I know maybe a lot of pre-meds can relate to this. I and myself in undergrad, I was kind of like a self-studier. I never really went to any of my professors for help. And that just 
yeah, that just, that was not a good move for me. So um, it really bit me in the butt because then I didn't, I didn't have rapport with the people that I needed to write me letters of recommendation. So what I did was um, actually in my, I guess, gap year, you can say, because I was getting rejected at that in that year, I started building rapport with core science professors. So meaning like people who taught me in biology, uh, anatomy, the core classes that medical schools require. Um, and it was that, I think, one big thing that really helped me. Um, another one, I would have to say personal statement. Personal statement was a biggie for me. I was never really a great writer. So I took that gap year to really hone in on my writing skills and do draft after draft after draft after edit, et cetera, et cetera. So I think those were two big things that helped me get in the second time around. Uh, Yeah. And honestly, those are not grades, you know, like those were not grades that you had to like go back and like repeat courses or anything. They're just actual things that say a lot about you. You know, the letters of rec are how these professors, you know, interact with you and what they think about you. And the personal statement is literally your personal experience and why you want to be a physician and why you want to be an osteopathic physician specifically. Things like that, that really go and show these um, admission committees that you are more than just your grades and your MCAT in your Casper, um, which I didn't have to take, but <laughs> the worst. Um, yeah, that's what I've heard. And I'm hashtag blessed to not yes. have to have taken that. Um, so blessed. <laughs> um, but yeah, and like letters of rec were honestly the hardest part for me to get into medical school. I was rejected from so many medical schools uh, just because I didn't meet their letters of rec requirements. Um, so I went to a really big university and you could not get in with the professor to get you a letter of rec unless you had an A plus in the class. Um, So even if I had an A, that was not an A plus. And so I could not get those letters of rec. Also, I didn't know the professors. There were 500 kids in the class. Like, how the heck am I supposed to walk up to them and make up a question? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. So kudos to you for like stepping it up during your gap year and and getting those letters and getting that personal statement kind of like put together because I know my personal statement was probably awful. <laughs> like I would don't even want to read it. Oh my gosh, yeah, my first one was really bad and I was like, "Oh my god, who wrote this?" <laughs> so how did you change it? Like what did you change? Okay, you know how they say show don't tell in Right. I had no idea what that meant. So a lot I was when I was reading my first personal statement, I would say like, "Oh, I just want to be a doctor because I have such a great background in medicine. My grandfather was a surgeon in Tehran." Yeah. And you know, like that. And no, that's not what you're supposed to write. You're supposed no. to write a story. So Yeah. You know, I wrote a, an actual story of an experience that I had with my grandfather as a surgeon and other experiences in my life that propelled me to want to be a doctor. So, you know, I was, I I leveled up. I leveled up basically. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, I, um, mine, I think I just made it really sad. And I think that's where I went wrong. Like that was the worst thing that I could have done. And that was something that I learned a lot from, um, because during my personal statement writing for residency, we had like a meeting with our deans and stuff and they, they went over like what to do and what not to do. And something that they said that really resonated with me was like, don't make the reader sad. 
Wow. There's no reason to make the reader sad. This should be a positive experience. True. Oh my gosh. No way. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that explains so much because I probably <laughs> made the reader go home and literally cry. So, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Well, you know, you hear a lot on uh, like pre med, the pre med world, Reddit, whatever. They're like, yeah, put in a sob story, make it so sad. And, you know, if you have a sob story to tell, if it actually was that sob story that made you want to be a doctor, tell it. Yeah. My thing is, like, even if it was, there's kind of, like, a time and place for it. And I just wouldn't be putting that kind of, like, negative energy. If I could go back, I would have not put that on my personal statement. Like, it mm-hmm. was it was very true. It was very accurate. And, like, that is why I wanted to become a doctor. But I could have said it in ways that didn't make me cry every time that I told that story. You know what I'm saying? Like right. you, you can you can like say things in a way that's inspirational, not devastating. Exactly. So th- that's what I would I would say for sure if I could go back and change it. But it sounds like you really did level up. Like you you did it. And thanks girl. Uh, <laughs> so did you did you apply to both MD and DO schools? I actually did not. Oh wow! Yeah, and this was this was mostly because of financial things. Um, mm-hmm. I just I couldn't afford it. I really couldn't afford to pl- apply to both, especially considering that I had applied a previous application cycle. So expensive. It's so expensive, and you know I had other expenses that I had to pay. Unfortunately, which we could probably make a whole another podcast on <laughs> on that, honestly. But I I really thought about it and I was sitting down during my gap year and I was like, okay, do I want MD or do I want DO? You know, I really had to sit there and think what because at, at least for me as a pre-med, going in there with no background, no experience, um, you hear people talk a lot of BS. Oh yeah. I'm just going to put it that way about DO. Yeah. And no shame in it. I didn't want to be a DO. Yeah. I yeah, I fully I was like, "No, nope, I'm not going to be a DO. Like I worked this hard to bust my butt and I'm going to just settle for DO? No way. That's not me." That was the worst mentality to have. Right. <laughs> I think that a lot of people, even DOs, I'm going to be a DO in in 3 months. And I had that mentality, like no joke. It took me, you know, I like applied for med school. I I applied to MD programs. It was radio silence. And I was like, well, I guess DOs aren't that bad. I went out and shouted a couple of them. And I'm like, I was literally such an oblivious, ignorant idiot because there's literally no difference. Mm-hmm. Girl, I was in the same exact position. I was like, what the, what is wrong with me? This is, <laughs> this is everything I want to do and more, Yeah, you know? So um, I really sat there and I thought about it and I was like, okay, I only have enough money for one program, either MD or DO. And I chose DO because honestly, I really resonated with the osteopathic philosophy. You have more tools. You hear it a lot. You have more tools in your toolbox as a physician. Yeah. Not to poo-poo on MDs. MDs are amazing as well. Mm -hmm. But I think we need to give DOs the credit they deserve too. They are awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And we just have to work so much. Not that we work harder, but we do, right? Like we have so many more credit hours. Mm -hmm. Um, In last week's episode, um, we really talked about, uh, I interviewed a 
DO surgery resident and he was gung-ho on DOs from day one Mm -hmm. and he really said it like I've never heard it before he was like I worked harder than MDs go toe for toe with me and tell me that I didn't because I did and I was just like yeah yeah we did we did we did that and we had to take you know we we take the complex a lot of us feel like we have to take the step and so we do and we crush it so, so good for you for, for having that hard moment with yourself and being like, you know what, that's humbling for sure. For sure. And thank you for bringing that up. I bring that up all the time that a lot of DOs, they take not only step, but complex too. So they're doing everything that the MD programs are doing plus extra. I don't get it. Yeah. The trolls, you know, like on on TikTok, literally, I had to step away from TikTok. I cannot handle this negativity in my life. I I mean, like I scored really well on Comlex. I went and took, you know, the MD exam, the USMLE, and I scored in the 90th percentile. It's like, dude, quit raining on my parade. This is my parade. Exactly. Exactly. Bro, TikTok is so toxic. Let's not even get into it. It's so toxic. You know, and it's so funny because um, like the more comments you get, the more you get boosted in the algorithm. But a lot of the times you see the ones that are getting the most comments are ones that are like controversial or filled with hate, which is so annoying. I know. And then the hate makes you want to make more controversial content. (laughs) But then when you do make more controversial content, you just feel like garbage and your blood pressure goes up. It's I mean, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but that's what happens to me. No, girl, me too. I remember I was seeing like trolls on your TikTok. I was like, Michael, don't listen to them. You're a baddie. I love you. (laughs) They're they're ruthless. I like took off the notifications. And then I just started making more wholesome content. And even on wholesome content, I made a TikTok video that was if dogs went to medical school, what specialties would they match into? (laughs) And I have trolls who are like vet students on my TikTok saying, this Mm -hmm. girl does not know anything about dog breeds. This is so inaccurate. And I'm like, I literally cannot win. (laughs) Oh my god, that's so funny. Oh my god, I'm dead. Yeah, TikTok, no, not for me, but it's a no, it's a no for me. So um, back to back to talking about like pre-med and med school. So you took a gap year. Did you take more than one gap year? No, I actually just took one gap year. Um, so a little bit about my gap year story. I actually applied for a master's program. I had gotten a scholarship for that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this master's program and then I'll apply. That, the time I started my master's was kind of when the med school cycle was opening again. So I was fully intent on finishing my master's and then reapplying the following year once I finished that. But that was where I kind of had that dilemma with myself and I thought about MD versus DO. And I was like, you know, I really want to do DO. So I was, I was taking a master's. And then I was going to do MD again in the following cycle, but I decided that wasn't the route for me. I really wanted to do osteopathic medicine and um, I kind of just wanted to get my medical career started because in no shame in it. There's like a time pressure that you feel, like even when people tell you not not to feel it, like you still feel it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I am so inspired by all the physicians who are going to med school as a second career, it's incredible. For me though, because I know that this is what I want and this is what I want to do, I want to get it started now, which might be a bad mentality to have. You know, I just, this is, this is my passion and I didn't want to finish this master's. Like I did do one semester, which was great. Um, But then I dropped out and I got into med school. (laughs) 
Good for you. That's very similar to my story. You know, I, at the point where I was, you know, not hearing anything from MD schools, I applied to both a master's program in Tampa and a bunch of DO schools. Whatever happens first, give it to me. So I had two DO interviews. I feel like they they went okay. (laughs) But um, I got into a master's at University of South Florida, which basically like, it's a really great master's program. I've known a lot of people who have done that program and got accepted to dental school, vet school, MD programs, DO programs, and just made them more competitive. And so like, that was almost like my in. And just like you, I was like, I, I have to reevaluate what I want and when I want it. Do I want $50,000 more of debt? Do I want to spend an extra year of my life just doing school when I could just be on the fast track? And honestly, my school, every school has their problems, but I love my, my school, my medical school. And I'm sure that you're going to love yours too. Um, I know lots of people who have gone there. Um, one of my friends went there and he is currently – a, um, I think he's doing an ICU fellowship at the University of Florida. So, okay, all right, yeah. You know, it's so funny. That's why I, I wanted to talk to you because your story and my story co-align, and I think both of our stories are amazing to put out there for pre-meds. I know I would have loved to hear our stories when I was a pre-med because I felt so lost and so burnt out when I was going through all of that uh, craziness. I guess you can say in undergrad. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of pre-meds just like to feel like they're the best. Um, You know, we're all bred into this kind of toxic environment where we are, we have to be the best in our high school and then we have to be the best in undergrad. And then we have to be the one to get into a great undergrad, you know, like who's going to Yale and who's going to the community college. Um, That's just like the environment that we're kind of funneled into. And so it's really easy when you're in pre-med looking at the other pre-meds and you're like they have it all together and I don't and I was told by not only the pre-med advising but other pre-meds oh you don't have a 4.0 you're never gonna go into medical school okay first of all canceled that is terrible first of all I am so sorry but second of all sadly I can relate yeah I feel like it's so relatable it's all relatable. If you're a pre-med and you're listening to this, it's I know you can relate right now. <laughs> I remember a quick story. I had, um, there was this kid in my class. This was Chem 1, so freshman year of undergrad. And we're going to call him Jay. And Jay loved to talk about all the connections he had. And he got into this program, which if you're in high school and listening to this, maybe this applies to you. But a lot of undergrad programs, they have like a guaranteed acceptance as long as you get a certain MCAT score. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the name of those programs are, but they give you a guaranteed seat basically to their medical school. And he was in that program and he loved to talk about that all the time. And I, I fed into the toxicity. I fed into the toxicity and I felt like I had to be better than him at everything that I did just to spite him, just to spite Jay. And honestly, maybe my GPA was good. Sure. But mentally I was done. I, you know, I hated college. I hated college. It's supposed to be the best years of your life. It was the worst of mine because I didn't take care of myself. I I, yeah. fed into, I fed into the toxicity, you know? That's so real. I had not that experience. I feel like by the time that I started caring in college, 
it was already too late. My GPA was too low. And then people telling me like, oh, you got to get a 4.0. So I was really trying for that upward trend and uh, like still finished 3.2. But I mean, that's so real, like not taking care of yourself and just putting yourself through you know, studying every day, day in and day out, not going to, you know, tailgates, not going and experiencing the football games, not having friends in undergrad. Like there was, there was so many moments in undergrad that like I will remember forever because they were just like so fun. And honestly, I would have rather had that fun that I had than had a 4.0. People can come at me for my 3.2 all day, but honestly, I lived my life in undergrad and I have zero regrets. Listen, I'm 100% with you. If I could go back in time, any pre-med listening to this right now who is busting their butt to try and get that 4.0 GPA, stop it. Enjoy your life. <laughs> Enjoy your life. Not saying forget about your grades. Grades are important. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, but come on, just go enjoy. Your- I didn't go to one tailgate. I barely had any friends. Any friends that I had, it was all like study related. It, it was it was a miserable experience for me. And guess what? I got rejected from medical school on my first application cycle. So you're like, this was all for nothing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So okay, I have a 3.98 GPA. Perfect. But I get rejected from medical school anyways. So, you know, it just goes to show you, you have to enjoy every moment of your life. Whatever aspect, whatever moment in time that you are in right now, take that moment, embrace it, and enjoy it. That's so real. I know so many people who who did that fast track, that did the fast track um, BS to MD, and they had to take a year off at some point. They had to either defer their acceptance to, to the MD and take a gap year just for themselves, not to improve their their scores or anything. Like they were already freaking accepted, but for themselves, they were just so burned out. And honestly, I'm super glad that I, I was forced to take a year and a half gap year because I was burnt out. Like, I don't think that I was emotionally mature enough either to start medical school. And I think that that's something that not a lot of people talk about because, I mean, if you're going into undergrad at 17, 18, say you graduate a year early and then you're going straight into medical school, those people are are young. Are they emotionally mature enough to to realize what they're giving up, how they need to be studying, that this is here for the rest of their life, basically. Like, those are all huge decisions. Very big, very big. And and another big thing, are they going to be able to handle what the hospital and the medical system has to offer to them? This is, this is no joke. I'm so thankful for my gap year because I was able to become a medical assistant. So I work one-on-one with patients. I have had some crazy experiences with some of these patients that I would have never gotten if I just jumped straight into medical school. And those, those moments that I had are the valuable moments. Yeah, they give you perspective. Exactly. And people don't understand that. Um, and they want to just go fast, fast, fast. And I get it. I get it. I was like that too. I'm I'm still to some extent like that. Like I want to keep going. But there are some times where there are things that are good for you that will come into your life and they're meant for you. It might not seem like it at the time, but trust me, you'll realize at the end that it is. For sure. Yeah. I remember being like crushed because I didn't even realize that I was supposed to have taken the MCAT by the time that I graduated undergrad. I was like, oh, someone should have told me this. And so 
I was forced to take the the gap. And I feel like if I had had somebody tell me, no, Michael, you have to take the MCAT before you graduate. If I had had the, all of that done already and maybe gotten into med school, I don't think that I would have done nearly as well as I have. My school is one of the schools that's still graded, which is kind of like it's annoying, but it's also kind of nice because you get to prove yourself a little bit, especially for me coming as somebody who did not do well in undergrad and was notoriously a procrastinator and bad at studying to top of my class, getting all A's. There was just a lot of personal growth and you need that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I love that. And Miss Thang, you you about to be a doctor in three months. But that, that's such a good point that you bring up. I am totally with you there. I mean, that goes to show you growth, period. Growth. And it also goes to show like that maybe the whole medical education system is kind of broken. Maybe we weed out too many people based on things that they did when they were 17, 18 years old. I'm sorry, but I got a C- in calculus the first time that I took it when I was 18 years old. And I had to retake it because I couldn't, you know, you can't use a C minus. And so I had no idea what I was doing. I was basically a child. And the fact that so many um, medical schools, you know, they reject people right off the bat, like, boom, you're rejected just because of that. Um, But I'm, I score super well on all of my board exams. And I'm obviously going to become a, a great doctor. If I wasn't so stubborn, maybe I wouldn't have gone to med school. That probably has happened to a lot of people who were told no, were told you cannot do this because of you got a C minus in calculus, go sit down. And they did go and sit down and they chose a different career path. They could have become a physician. And so like the system is just kind of messed up. A hundred percent. I could not agree with you more. In my undergrad, I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but uh, my undergrad I didn't know I had to apply for classes until it was too late. Luckily, there was this program where they pick classes for you for your first semester and you kind of move around with the same people in the same group. Oh, that's nice. It was nice. It was great. Um, A lot of like the only friends in college that I have are really from that group. Wow. Um, So, you know, it was like 20 or 25 of us to start with. And like all, I mean, all, Michael, of these people are no longer on the pre-med path. Oh my gosh. I swear, I'm the only one. I'm the only, sorry, me, another kid who got into dental school, and then my other friend who, um, she was going to do DO, but now she's thinking of switching to PA just for lifestyle reasons, which is is absolutely fine. I think PA is a great field, but it, it just goes to show you, like, you know, some of these people could have been amazing doctors, and I know they could have because they were such good people, but... They couldn't get through the rigor, the constant being graded, watched over, and then finances. That's another barrier to get through, you know? So I'm totally with you. I mean, there definitely needs to be some reform. And like I said, we can make a whole nother podcast on that for sure. (laughs) There's so many things they could do. But I did see, I saw today actually that LECOM just added a different track for PAs to become DOs in a three-year time instead of, you know, having to do with the entire four years, which I thought was kind of interesting. We'll see how that goes, but yeah. What? That's awesome. I had no idea about that. Um, But 
make it so that your entire acceptance is not graded off of, you know, something that you did when you were 17, 18 years old. I just can't, I can't get behind that because I'm a completely different person than what I was when I was 17, 18, you know? Exactly. I, I'm not the same person that I was five, six years ago. And the fact that you're going to be judging me on that and saying, basically telling me if I'm worthy of being a doctor based on a grade from when I was 18. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's so silly. Um, so you only applied to DO schools. And how did you go about like, how, what was your interview season like? My interview season was pretty good, thankfully. Um, I was in the double digits for interviews, for wow. sure. Wow, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, so that w- I was very thankful for that. I actually just got an interview again last month in January. So it goes to show you, you can get interviews for quite a while. I knew pretty early on that I was, I wanted to go to KCU just because they're board scores are phenomenal. They have a great program. And I have a friend there. So she's kind of integrated me already into the KCU life. So I knew I wanted to go to KCU pretty early on. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't, you know, I just because of that, I took all the interviews I could, except for the one last Mm -hmm. month. Um, Because you want to keep your options open always. Definitely. Yeah. And there's so many good DO programs out there. I I didn't even know where I was applying. I think that I just kind of like was shooting shooting in the dark when I was applying. So I didn't even know what I was doing. Um, but that's amazing. KCU is a great school. I don't I don't even think that I applied there. But I do know somebody who who did go to the Joplin campus, and he said that there's not much to do. That's honestly better. Take it from me. I spent two years of my life in Harrogate, Tennessee, and for me, it was all cow pastures. Like there was one restaurant. There was one. There was actually two grocery stores, but one was clearly superior in my opinion. So for me, there was only one grocery store, no airport, like nothing. I mean, traffic's great because like, you know, there's nobody on the road. Um, But honestly, I kind of liked the fact that there was nobody in this small town. There was zero distractions. There was no, no late night runs to Target that I could do, you know. I had to work. I saved so much money. The rent, the rent where I lived was like $500 a month for a gorgeous apartment. You cannot beat that. Literally. Oh my God, baby girl. Let me tell you, I am getting a a luxury apartment. Like this apartment is so nice. Two bedroom, I think two bath for $8.95 a month, girl. That's crazy. Isn't it? And coming from South Florida, like rent right now in Boca Raton is like three grand for an apartment like that. Oh, I know. (laughs) So looking at that, it's also safety is a big thing for me because I've never lived alone. This is my first time kind of living on my own and- also, everything's close to one another. So you don't have to do too much driving or strolling around. I was totally against like a rural area in the beginning. Like I wanted to go to Kansas City, like the Kansas City campus or like a big city campus. But it wasn't until after I actually went to Joplin and I kind of saw how the lifestyle was and the school in itself. I was like, this is a lot better for a med student transitioning into medical school. It also makes it so much nicer because you will be living in very close proximity to the rest of the students. And that for me was huge. Like I had the option of living in Knoxville at the Knoxville campus um, in Tennessee or the Harrogate campus. They're like an hour and a half away from one another. But I know for a fact that the Knoxville kids had to all live throughout the entire city. Like it's a it's a pretty decent sized city. It's not like 
Kansas City, but they all lived really far away from one another. Whereas for me, living in the middle of nowhere, there's four apartment complexes and they're all on the same street. And so like my best friend got to live right next to me. All of my classmates lived in the same apartment complex. We all studied together all the time. It was just that sense of community that you need for medical school. I didn't have that community sense in undergrad because I went to such a big undergrad that like I finally got that in medical school and you need those people to get you through at so many hard times. So good for you. And good for you, girl. Like, look at us. <laughs> Thriving. So um, what are you most excited about starting medical school? Is there a specific area of medicine that maybe piques your interest or what's what's the dealio? I am, well, this is because I work in audiology practice and have kind of exposure to ENT. And also my boss has been like, Misha, become an ENT, please. Um, so, yeah. you know, I'm kind, I'm definitely leaning against that route. I love that field in itself. I've worked with so many ENTs and I've had the opportunity to be at this practice that I'm working at for four years now. So ENT, but I am not closed off to any specialty. Primary care, surgical specialties, all of them, I'm still going in there with an open mind because four years is a long time. Like something can definitely change, you know? In terms of, you know, specialty choices, exactly like you said, like don't be closed off to anything. Literally when I... When I went into medical school, I thought that I wanted to do maybe surgery or like cardiology because I worked on a cardiology floor during my gap year. I was like a telemetry tech. And I had floated a couple of times when I was a teletech. I floated to the neurology floors and they freaked me out so much. Whenever the, the epilepsy alarms would go off, my heart would be pounding. I was so nervous. It was just going from everybody on the cardiology floor was like walkie talkie to going to a neurology unit where a lot of the patients are nonverbal, can't walk, have um, life-changing disabilities, to me was so overwhelming. And so I didn't even realize that I loved neurology until I took my neuroanatomy class in first year. I realized that I loved it. And now it's no longer intimidating to me. You know, like I'm not ever intimidated by a patient that's nonverbal or can't walk or has a G2. Like I just, that's just normal for me now. And so going into it with that open mind is a 10 out of 10 advice that you can give. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. See, and it's funny. I was talking to my friends the other day who actually also just got accepted into medical school. And we would talk about what we wanted to match into when we were in undergrad. And we were both like surgery, surgery, 100%. Like, that's all we want, right? That's all any pre-med wants, apparently. I don't, know why. <laughs> I, don't I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it. I, I, I honestly think when you're a pre-med, you're looking at it, uh, you're looking at the end game. So like the prestige of a surgeon, which is the worst mindset to have, you know? So, and, and I was talking to him the other day and he was like, oh, you know, did you change your mind on what specialty you want to go into? And I was like, well, I'm thinking ENT, but honestly, you know, I'm open to any primary care specialty as well. And he was like, what? Primary care? Why would you want to do primary care? And it, it baffles me that people still think that way because, one, we're in desperate need of primary yeah, care we physicians. we need them. Like, if you're listening to this, please go into primary care. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, we need them. Yeah, like it's there's no, there's no hierarchy that we shouldn't be thinking about oh, well, I want to go into that residency because it's clearly surgery is better than than family medicine. Like, no, that doesn't exist. Stop thinking that way because 
honestly, primary care is just as important. And even though like it, it's a shorter residency, people always, you know, they they go back to the pay, you know, well, oh, primary cares uh, don't get paid as much or pediatricians are the lowest paid. And so I shouldn't go into peds. I saw this amazing video on TikTok um, a couple of weeks ago when I was still on the TikTok train, you know, um, but basically this doctor was talking about how I think that we we get this pressure on us when we're in medical school um, because we have two hundred to four hundred thousand dollars in debt. We have to somehow make this debt be worth it, um, not only mm-hmm. like in a fulfillment way, but also in like a monetization kind of way. And so we pick something that we think will will fulfill that debt and. Honestly, that's not a great way to go about it because there are pediatricians and family care docs that make a million dollars a year. Maybe they're not making it all off their practice. Maybe they are. Maybe they have other investments. There's just other ways that you can go about making money through things that might not seem apparent to you when you go on Doximity and look up average salary of a pediatrician and see that it's only, you know, $200,000 a year. Just be smart with your money. Take a financial investment kind of course. It's just like a really shallow way to think about specialties when at the end of the day, we're all here to help patients. A hundred and twenty percent. Oh my God, you said it perfectly. (laughs) First of all, if you're Yes, we all need to make money as physicians, okay? We all need to make money, period. Every single person in this world, to sustain a life, you need to have a salary. You need to have an income. But if you're going into a specialty just because of the money, reevaluate what you're doing because a lot of the times, like many pre-meds out there are obsessed with grays. I'm I'm sure, sure. yeah. I've been there. (laughs) They're like, oh, I want to be a neurosurgeon or... I want to do like ped surgery. I want to be in the ICU doing surgery because this person is making $2 million a year off of that. Yeah, well, that person has to work yeah. 80 hours a week just to, you know, it's yeah. lifestyle as well. You got to take that into account. But I think that a lot of pre-meds, I definitely fell into this because I thought that I wanted to be a plastic surgeon um, and when I was a pre-med and I think that a lot of pre-meds are, they're fantasizing about intensity. Like they just are drawn to really intense things like ICU, surgery, pediatric surgery, neurosurgery, things like that, that just come across really, really intense. Sure. When you're a pre-med and you have no idea what's going on in the first place um, and you go and shadow someone who's doing like trauma surgery, it seems really exciting and exhilarating and you know, it's the first time that you've ever really felt alive. And you're like, I love this. But when you are the resident, and you have a little bit more ownership of that patient, if you have that intensity every single day, day in and day out, that is draining, and that leads to burnout. And so you should be like, okay, do I want to burn out? Or do I maybe want to do primary care and be home every day by 5.30 p.m. and get to pick my kids up from school. Like there's just trade-offs that you have to make. I myself am a victim of this. I was so drawn to the surgery and the, oh my God, like they call me at three o'clock in the morning and I'm going to run to the hospital and my Tesla and looking cute and whatever, (laughs) you know, but realistically, who knows? That might be the life that I want to have. But it may not. So all I think you and I are both asking pre-meds is to ask themselves, 
keep an open mind to what specialty you want to go into because there's a lot that you will learn within those four years and there are a lot of ways that you will grow as Mm -hmm. a person and as a physician a future physician and I said it on like a previous um pre-med tip of the week but 75 percent of medical students change their mind about their perspective uh, or preferred residency choice, like their preferred specialty choice at some point during medical school, 75%. I know maybe one person who kept what she wanted to do, but like she's the only person that I know. Maybe maybe one other person, maybe somebody that I know wanted to do peds and actually she might still do peds. We'll figure it out. But like so many people change their minds. So it's good that you are keeping an open mind and honestly, who knows? You, if four years down the road, you might be applying for ENT residency. So, hey, I mean, if I am, that's awesome. And if I'm not, that's awesome too. Exactly, because this is your journey. You are the protagonist. Oh, period. I love that. <laughs> so, are you doing anything right now to kind of prepare yourself for starting med school in July? mostly relaxing trying to at least you know I'm, I'm still working I'm still a medical assistant but I will be finishing that up soon um I told myself that I was not gonna overwhelm myself before med school I remember going into undergrad I started like prepping beforehand and learning things beforehand oh my gosh yeah it wasn't trust me I regret it very, very much so. So I'm just focusing on myself, my mental health. I'm going to be traveling soon, which is super exciting. It's amazing. And, you know, and it's probably one of the... I'm learning from my mistakes. Let's just say that. I'm definitely learning from my mistakes. That's all we can do. That's literally (laughs) life. (laughs) Exactly. 100%. (laughs) I think um, my, my school did like an anatomy boot camp that I opted out of before classes started because um, I was finishing up. I'd move across the country, which you will be doing. Yes. But I like, I was accepted very last minute. The anatomy boot camp was literally starting like in a week and I was like, that's a no for me. Um, but then they sent out a histology intro to histology kind of website and like modules that you can do if you've never had that exposure, which at that point I had no idea what histology was. Um, so... <laughs> I tried taking eukaryotic cell structure in undergrad and had to drop the course. So, um, <laughs> oh, but there was there was a lot of life things going on. Fun fact: my car was stolen during that final. I had literally an exam. Oh my god! And I went and I ran around the UF stadium a couple of times, just run off some steam, you know, before my exam. It was at night. It was an online exam, and I go to like get my car, and my car was gone. Oh my god! <laughs> And then you had an exam. But I was like, maybe I'm delirious. Maybe like, maybe I didn't park here. Did I drive here? Like, how did I, how did I get here? I don't even really know. You were gaslighting yourself. I literally was. I was like, surely this was not what happened. Maybe I parked somewhere else. I called the guy that I was dating at the time and I was like, I can't find my car or my keys anywhere. What do you think's going on? And he was like, Michael, get off the phone with me right now and call the police. Your car has been stolen. Oh my God. I missed that exam. It's why I had to drop the class. But long story short for histology, the week before med school started, I was like, I'm going to do these modules. I'm going to like learn what acidophilic and basophilic mean. It did not help me. I That was my only B in medical school was histology. <laughs> that goes to show that module literally gave me zero. Exactly. So just 
just relax, live your life. This is the last time that you're going to live your life for a little while. So exactly. I remember like during my interviews, uh, they have like a panel where you can ask current med students questions. And I, there was like a kid. Yes. He's like, you know, what should I do to prepare for medical school? And literally without a doubt, every single kid was like, just relax. Don't do anything. Don't think about medicine. Don't do anything. You're going to be thinking about medicine for the next four years of your life. Just don't worry. (laughs) Just literally sit on a beach and read a book that's not about medicine. (laughs) Exactly. Have a margarita and live. I like worked up until the very end and I was so stressed with selling all of my stuff. I only brought with me anything that could fit in my Toyota RAV4. (laughs) Oh my god. That's probably gonna be me, girl. Everything in my Subaru Outback. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah. If you could give any advice to like a pre-med other than relax, because obviously we would all say that, um, what would you what would you say to them? My biggest tip and something that I wish I thought about when I was a pre-med is don't make your application all about medicine and all about science. That was my fault. Everything that I did was on the premise of, okay, I need to get into medical school. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do AMSA, AMWA. I'm going to do, I'm become a teaching assistant for an anatomy lab and whatever, yada, yada, yada. Everything to look good on my applications instead of actually focusing on something that I love. My biggest advice is choose three clubs. One club for your career, so something in medicine like AMSA. One club for networking. Now you need to network with people to definitely build up that rapport and get into a good school. And then one club for something that you just love to do. Mm -hmm. If you like to competitive skydive, do a competitive skydiving club, Mm -hmm. you know? It could just be like plant club. Exactly. Like, come on. And I never thought about that. So I did every club underneath the sun that was related to medicine. And again, bit me in the butt because I didn't get into medical school on my first application cycle. And like, they want to see that you're human. Exactly. It wasn't until the things that they talked about most in my interviews were everything that I've done in my gap year. You know, it, it goes to show you like they didn't even talk about anything that I did in undergrad. Networking is so important and I never knew that. None of my friends in undergrad were were pre-meds, honestly. So I had no ins and I honestly didn't have a lot of medical things to put on my resume. But the things that I did in undergrad that weren't related to medicine, like I, I worked at a hotel as a front desk person, I still get questions for residency. I got questions about, oh, what was that like? Uh, my friend that's interviewing for, for ENT, he was like, yeah, I got questions about when I was a Lyft driver. You just get these random questions. And like, honestly, they don't care. Like, obviously, we're all here. We all are interested in medicine. But I was also an AMSA. I bet that everyone in the room but that I interviewed at was in AMSA. What made me special? Exactly. Exactly. Were any of your interviews group interviews? Uh, I think I had, I had one group interview. It was so weird. It was like, we had a private interview and then we also had a group interview on Zoom. It was, uh, and like, how do you work in a group on Zoom? It was just so hard. Well, I honestly, I feel like Zoom interviews are, are a little bit better. I remember mine was a group interview, one of them. And honestly, it was my first interview and I was super nervous and um, I cried. <laughs> I was like the last person to answer and everybody had already taken like my my like answers. And so 
maybe I'm just really an emotional person, but, um, (laughs) but they were like, why do you want to be a physician? And to me, that question is something that's very personal and very like vulnerable. And for that to be like my first interview question, my first interview, I think I cried. Like, I think that like I blacked that out of my memory for so long, but like a couple of months ago, I think I was like watching TV or something. And I looked, looked over at my boyfriend and I was like, you know, I think I cried during my first med school interview, like in front of everyone. (laughs) And I still got in. But like interviews, like I cringe when I think about them, not just because I cried, but because like they are so just like these people are in charge of the rest of your life. Oh my God. Yes. And I remember uh, I was at this interview and the questions that this person was throwing at me were nothing that I had prepared for. It was like an Oh my God. It was like an ethics question. And I was like, Oh Jesus, what am I going to do? So I'm like sweating. I can feel myself. Like I'm about to, my eyes are getting red and I'm like, uh, and I'm starting to stutter and stammer, but I got into that school, which is, which goes to show you, like, I, you know, I think these interviewers too, they know that we're all nervous and this is like a big thing for all of us. So they take that into account, but yeah, I just, interviews are not my thing. One of my friends um, at the school that I go to now, like I met her on the day of the interview and we both got in, like we're both like really good friends still. But I remember I met her during my interview and she like, she like got pulled into the interview. She comes back and she sits right next to me and she was like, I'm not getting in here. I just know it. I'm just not getting in here. I was like, what did they ask you? She was like, they asked me if I was the Surgeon General, what would my slogan for my campaign be? what I hate those questions why I was like what did you say and she was like I said I don't know I don't know what I would say I would just make some some nonsense up but she was like just so caught off guard that she was like I don't know at least I I think she got in because she was being honest when I went in it was like two people versus like one of me like it was two interviewers and one of me and I almost felt like they were playing like a good cop bad cop kind of situation like one person was like, kind of like really invested in me and the other person had like their their feet on the on the table like not making eye contact had my resume like in front of their face I just remember like talking about where I was from and the other person was like yeah I'm from close to there like she was from Vero Beach and I'm from Melbourne and so we just talked about the beach so for anybody listening to this prepare for at least one good cop bad cop interview because I had the same experience and it was the guy, he was grilling me. Oh my, I felt like I was in a police interrogation. I was like, what is this? He was asking me some intense questions. I don't even remember. I, I think I blacked out that whole interview from my memory. And then there was a female interviewer who was like, aw, I see you have a dog. What's his name? Oh my gosh. Well, um, I think that we have used enough time but it was amazing talking with you um any other like closing thoughts how can people kind of like find you on social media and best support you yeah oh thanks for asking i am currently on instagram and tiktok most of all uh my handle is misha dilma d-i-l-m-a is the last name and you guys can reach out to me there i have my email on my instagram i'm always open there as well And thank you so much, Michael. I'm so, it was so awesome talking to you. (laughs) Yeah, it really was. And like, we'll obviously stay in touch and everything. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at DearDOPod. 
You can check out the official website, deardeopod.com, for blog posts, guides, and you can actually submit any of your questions about all things medical school. Support the continuation of this podcast by leaving us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Cologne, recording and production by yours truly, and hope to see you next time.